Top stories of the week. Scott Morrison does his part for jobs growth. And God fails to smite Salman Rushdie. This is News Weekly. Hello, I'm probably Scott Morrison and welcome to News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Five ministers walk into the bar and they're all Scott Morrison news now. Like the monster in every monster movie who you think is dead but suddenly rears back up again for one last bite, former Prime Minister Scott Morrison is back in the news. He seized control of five ministries to five additional portfolios. Five portfolios seized by the former Prime Minister. It turns out Scott Morrison, who was frequently criticised for not doing his job as Prime Minister, was also not doing his job as Resources Minister, Finance Minister, Health Minister, Home Affairs Minister and Treasury Minister. Although no one criticised him for it because no one knew he had appointed himself to those ministries. More headaches for the coalition courtesy of revelations. Scott Morrison was secretly sworn in to a handful of senior ministerial positions. The problem there is the secret part. Basically, it was revealed that during the height of the pandemic, Scott Morrison had himself sworn in as a backup minister to those portfolios, giving himself unilateral power to overrule the actual ministers on those portfolios without ever telling them he had done so. So, where did he even come up with this bizarre idea? Morrison's move was based on the advice of the then Attorney General Christian Porter. That's right, the same Christian Porter who launched a defamation claim against the ABC, which he then withdrew and claimed he'd won even though no damages were awarded to him, had to pay $550,000 to someone else after one of his lawyers was found to have a conflict of interest in the case and had his own legal fees paid by anonymous sources. Basically, Morrison got his legal advice from the worst lawyer in Australia. But when Mr Morrison moved into Porter's own portfolio 14 months later, he didn't bother mentioning it to him. Which is the closest Christian Porter has ever come to experiencing or understanding consent. When the revelations first came out, Morrison said he wouldn't care to comment. Scott Morrison, who is still a sitting member of Parliament, who's refused to be drawn in on the issue, saying he doesn't engage in day-to-day -day politics anymore. Except he's being paid to be a member of Parliament still on a day-to-day -day basis. Then, when he finally was forced to respond, he started by claiming it was only three ministries. Are there any other portfolios that you assumed any control over? Not to my recollection, Ben. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing that, but not to my recollection. There were a number that were considered at the time for safeguard reasons. Then it turned out to be five ministries in total, which you can understand Morrison forgetting about. I mean, who hasn't signed themselves on to five ministries in secret and then forgotten about some of them? Honestly, can we all stop being so judgy? What do you want from the former Prime Minister? To remember all the details of that entirely unprecedented power grab he did without even telling his own ministers like Josh Frydenberg, who he was literally house-sharing with at the time? We're, we're living under the same roof. Um, we're eating together. It's just the two of us there. And after, after we've had dinner, we, you know, we both get the scrubbing brush and, and have a go for it. You might not believe it, but it's true. And uh, we pop, we pop the, the, the spaghetti bolognese, or last night it was the schnitzel, into the microwave and, and then we sit down and have a good conversation. So In those conversations they had after dinners completely devoid of any vegetables, the two men, who apparently have never scrubbed their own plates before, never thought to discuss the possibility of one of them signing himself up to a secret ministry over the other. 
The revelations were shocking, not just to the average Australian who thought they were finally rid of Morrison-related headlines, but also to the members of Morrison's own party, who have finally discovered why no one else liked him either. However, Morrison did attempt to make amends by apologising. Of course I regret that offence and, and apologise for that offence. But only to the men. The former Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews didn't receive an apology when the gents did. He hasn't spoken to me. The last discussion that I had with Scott Morrison was during the last sitting week in Canberra. This afternoon, 10 News First confirmed Mr Morrison finally called Ms Andrews to apologise for not apologising. That's basically the turducken of apologies. An apology stuffed inside an apology wrapped in another apology that tastes like shit. So why did he do it? As Prime Minister, only I could really understand the weight of responsibility that was on my shoulders and, and on no one else. No one else could understand that because he kept that weight a secret. In all the portfolios that I sought to have these authorities put in place, they were portfolio areas where ministers could exercise unilateral decisions without reference to Cabinet. What does that mean? Well, here's ABC's Laura Tingle to explain. In other words, Scott Morrison as Prime Minister wanted to be in a position to make those unilateral decisions the law entrusts to ministers in the health, finance, treasury, home affairs and resources portfolios. For example, cancelling gas projects, overseeing foreign investment powers and approving surveillance warrants, if he needed to, but insisting he didn't actually want to. It's not so much burn the village to save the village, as much as secretly became everyone in the village's shadow, like some sort of dark necrotic being who will slowly supplant every person in the village with a version of themselves that wears khakis and cooks bad Indian food all the time to save the village. Luckily, Morrison also took time out to justify why what he did wasn't that bad. The fact that ministers were unaware of these things is actually proof of my lack of interference or intervention in any of their activities. They didn't find out I did it, so it's not bad, which is the same logic I've been using all these years to justify stealing comic books from Aga supermarket in Karachi when I was 13 years old. The reaction to all of this has left media commentators mystified, confused, befuddled and disoriented. It's weird, it's, mm. it's bizarre. It's just really weird and it's, it's almost creepy. And downright weird. It's just weird. It's just so weird. Well, it is weird and it's wacky, like you said. Okay, so the Australian media, not known for its vocabulary. Weirder than all of that, though, is that even Sky News' Andrew Bolt has finally turned on Morrison. What a shocking memory. And over the next 14 months, got hungrier and hungrier. But quite openly, because he wanted to kill off a gas project in New South Wales that was threatened to cost the Liberals seats of the election. Honestly, I should be running a soundtrack on this, uh, you know, clown show music. It happens to me all the time. Uh, hey, did I just make myself the king of Albania? Oh, slipped my mind. Too busy. Maybe the only reason Scott Morrison did this is because we'd all been complaining about how boring politics had become. He's basically taking one for the team here by making himself the entire team. Still, Scott Morrison has, at the very least, cemented his legacy, not just as one of the worst prime ministers in Australian history, but also the worst finance minister, health minister, resources minister, home affairs minister and treasury minister. If you're good at your job, you'll get a job, Mr. Speaker. God loves Salman Rushdie news now. In what can only be described as a continued failure by God to actually exist, author Salman Rushdie has survived getting stabbed by a religious fanatic at a live event in New Jersey. 
The attack happened in full view of an audience. There was panic and confusion as Sir Salman Rushdie lay injured on the stage after being stabbed. While speaking at a public event, Rushdie was attacked by a fucking fuck-faced fuckhead, motivated by his love for imaginary bullshit that he believes Rushdie offended, because apparently there's an almighty being who hung the stars, painted the skies and crafted all living things big and small, but can't handle books that are mean to him. The roots of this attack go all the way back to 1988, when the author responsible for Midnight's Children, one of the greatest books ever written in the English language, published his fourth novel, Satanic Verses. The title of the book refers to a vague account in Islamic history where the devil confused Muhammad by almost getting him to include false verses in the Quran. It's a controversial story because the devil isn't fucking real. The book itself is an interesting retelling and re-exploration of the origins of Islam's founder and any careful reading of it will show that it is not an attack on Islam or Muhammad and actually any characters who do so in the book are treated as villains. This nuance, however, is lost on most Muslims because being religious results in poor reading comprehension. The work of fiction that is satanic verses apparently so offended believers in the work of fiction that is the Quran that the Ayatollah Khomeini took time out of writing books on how you shouldn't eat a goat if you fuck it but you can serve the meat to your neighbors which is an actual thing he wrote once and declared a fatwa on Rushdie. Iran's spiritual leader at the time called for Sir Salman's execution offering a 2.5 million pound reward. Iran has now distanced itself from that but the bounty remains. Rushdie spent the next 20 years in hiding and surrounded by security, while effigy makers across the world experienced what is known as the golden era. In recent years, however, Rushdie felt the threat had diminished enough to return to public life. Unfortunately, he was wrong and was attacked. The suspect in this attack has been identified as 24-year-old Hadi Matar. He has pleaded not guilty to attempted murder and assault charges. He faces up to 32 years in prison if convicted. Authorities say they're now investigating the motive behind the attack. The investigation will probably be a quick one, given the attacker's social media is basically a fan site for Iran's revolutionary guard. Iran's regime is denying any involvement in Friday's near-fatal stabbing attack on renowned author Salman Rushdie, insisting that it has no links to the man charged with trying to murder him. Apparently, Iran claims it has nothing to do with this other than calling for Rushdie's murder, posting a bounty for his murder and celebrating that attempted murder. We've been hearing from Iran's foreign ministry via the spokesperson uh, Nasser Kanani Tehran, who says that the country denies any link with the incident at all. He says no one has the right to accuse the Islamic Republic of Iran. That's right. Only the Islamic Republic of Iran has the right to accuse others of spurious bullshit. He also went on to say, we do not consider anyone other than Salman Rushdie and his supporters worthy of blame and even condemnation. And he insists that on the issue of free speech, he says that freedom of speech doesn't justify what he calls Salman Rushdie's insults upon religion. I mean, that's literally what freedom of speech does justify. There is a positive update after the attack of renowned author and former Emory University professor Salman Rushdie. Today, his agent says his condition is headed in the right direction. It turns out if there is a god, he wants Salman Rushdie alive. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. As always, if you like the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for this on Apple Podcasts. Um, a five-star rating and a nice review will really help it in the charts, help more people see the podcast. You can also support me by heading over to patreon.com slash Shah. That's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H. 
Oh, and always I will continue to shamelessly push my new audio fiction. It is called The Mist, M-I-S-S-E-D. It's a crime noir, full cast production, radio play on Audible, available right now. If you head over to audible.com.au slash The Mist, that's M-I-S-S-E-D, you can listen to all eight episodes right now. A refugee family confronted by their worst nightmare. The moment it fell apart, when the kids started screaming. A journalist finding the headline of a lifetime. If I broke this story before anyone else, that would be my career made. A small town mayor fighting for her career. I realized I wasn't ready. No one could be ready for what came next. A detective trying to stop a killer before it's too late. Whether he did it or not, that's not the point here. The point is, you've been doing this too long to be this naive. Maddox, get inside. This is The Mist, the story of a family in fear. Where is she? A town in panic. You never get through this again! An Audible original podcast. All right, that's The Mist. You can check that on audible.com.au slash The Mist. T-H-E-M-I-S-S-E-D. I'll see you right back here next week on News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly.